All right, back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the Fan, Ailish and Justin on this Monday morning. A little bit of Canadian pride coursing through your veins this morning. But a lot. Feel like it's just we're still working through how to even break this thing down. How this ranks in Canadian sports lore? Is it on your Mount Rushmore? We're taking your text in at five ninety five ninety. We got a couple things that can rival this moment, but the recency bias is it's on there. Uh, it was something really special that the whole country was dialed into, and somebody that was right there. On the green, our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst. You still getting champagne under your hair this morning? How's it going there, Adam? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it's tough because, like, you know, I talk and write about golf for a living, but it has been pretty tough to find the words mm-hmm. for what this, uh, what this means. I mean, you know, just conceptually, as, as someone who's covered the game for 10 years and you know, I've been doing this as basically as long as Nick Taylor has been a professional golfer. So, you know, this generation and, and I have kind of come up uh, the ranks all, all together, obviously very separate. So to see him do this and do it in the way that he did it and do it with all the guys hanging out around him and, and do it in a playoff and do it at our national open. There's just so many layers of, of excitement and emotion and just just rationale for this to be one of those things that you're never ever going to forget so when you wake up this morning what's like the first thing on your mind what do you think back of uh back on uh most clearly moment reaction conversation celebration fan interaction like what what is the number one thing that was like wow that was that's what i'm going to remember most from this i i think it had to be looking over at adam hadwin mike weir and Corey connor's Mm -hmm watching the putt trickle closer and closer because the putt the putt's so long that you know there's one beat two beats three beats four beats and then it's like a crescendo by the time it gets to the fifth or sixth second it's like oh my this putt's going in (laughs) so you look at these guys and adam hadwin was sitting down mike weir was it was standing same with Corey, and and they just absolutely lost it and when you think about the trickle down effect of mike weir winning the masters to inspire Corey and Adam and Nick to want to become professional golfers. Mike Weir wins the Masters. Corey stops playing hockey. Nick stops playing hockey. Adam stops playing hockey. They decide that they want to go play golf. And now there he is watching one of the people that he inspired win his national open. Like, you just can't, you just can't beat that, and you don't really have that in, in any other sports. And, and I think kind of to bear witness to that emotion and that scene and knowing, you know, how much Mike Weir's Masters win meant to me too, personally, you know, knowing that I had a passion for golf and just kind of deciding that I wanted to to do something in golf in my life after Mike won the Masters, you know, that is something that I will feel and file away and just kind of relive for a really long time. So maybe this is the newest um, rendition of that moment for Canadian golf where there's a lot of people watching, whether at home, whether they're there in person, that might have that same level of inspiration that this is what I want to do now, whether it's play, whether it's cover, whether it's just continue to be a fan. So how do you start to think about what yeah. this means for Canada, for Canadian golf? I know it's hard to compare Mike Weir. Sure. Maybe this is a new version, but just what this means for Canada and Canadian golf. Yeah, it's it's an incredible question, and it's something I've been obviously thinking about for the last you know twelve hours or so. Because I've I've always been hot to say that the next generation of Canadian golfers that I'm most excited about is girls who are eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, something like that, who 
or picking up golf because mm-hmm. they saw Brooke Henderson rewrite the record books, win two majors, win the Canadian Open. She's from a town of like 5,000 people. You know, her dad's her coach, her sister's her caddy. If, if she can do that, if she can become a top 10 golfer in the world given where she's come from, then they can do it too. So I've always been excited about that generation, and we're obviously a lot closer to that generation making it to the top than we are sort of another male generation. But the the trickle-down impact of a Canadian winning the RBC Canadian Open, first time since 1954, first time a Canadian-born golfer has won the Canadian Open since 1914, um, you're looking at this at the same level as Mike Weir's Masters win. Yes, this is not a capital M major championship, but it's a it's a lowercase m major championship. It's the third oldest tournament that the guys play on the PGA Tour every year. And given that it happened in such a big city, a big market in Toronto, you know, given the the social media reach of this win versus Mike Weir's win in 2003, um, yeah, I, I do think that there there's going to be a few young kids who are you know kind of early teens, maybe 10, 11, 12. Maybe they're from BC. They're from you know Nick Taylor's home province, and they think if that guy can do that, I want to feel that. And uh, you just can't replace kind of that singular impact of a win like this. And it's obviously way too early to tell, but I think this is going to do something along the lines of what Mike Weir's Masters win did in 2003. Okay, I'm asking you to speculate just a little bit, but Nick Taylor needed to make up 20 shots. Uh, over the final three rounds of this tournament to win, just to get into the playoff, let alone right? win. Yeah. <laughs> but the speculative aspect would, or the question would be, does he even make the cut if it's not the Canadian Open? Like, does he have the drive to dig his heels in on Friday if it's not, wow, I'm not going to make the cut at the Canadian Open? Yeah, I could, I, I could see that. I could lean towards saying yes to that, to that question. Um, it's a lot for the guys this week. It's a lot unlike any other week on the PGA Tour you know, obviously, uh, Nick is, is sponsored by RBC uh, specifically, so they're trotting him out to, um, you know, private events on Tuesday away from the golf course. He had to do a couple of, you know, extra media things. Um, you also have to grapple with the standing ovations you get on every tee and every green, which is different week in and week out on the PGA Tour. So, um, yeah, I think he was 100. This is crazy. He was 120th after the first round. Shot 75. He was 120th. His wife, Andy, kudos to her. we got to get her out on the uh, motivational speaking tour. Uh, his wife, Andy, gives him a talking to, he says. Kicks his butt, he says. Uh, <laughs> tells him to shape up with his attitude. Uh, goes out, shoots, I think it was 67 on Friday. Uh, makes the cut by one. Uh, and then, obviously, goes out uh, on Saturday and shoots the course record. So uh, I think your point is, is entirely accurate. Um, it's Canadian Open. It's extra special. He had a poor attitude on Thursday. His wife told him to get him in gear, uh, and he came back and, and played really, really nice on Friday. And, and you're right. If this was a run-of-the-mill, rank-and-file PGA Tour event, if this was the Rocket Mortgage Classic or something like that, we may not, may not have seen that, uh, that juice behind Nick Taylor in, in the second round. I love when people diminish the Rocket Mortgage, mortgage Classic. I don't know why. It's <laughs> the funniest thing ever. Name. It's the funniest That's thing. That's why. All the wives listening, you are so totally justified to scold your husbands and tell them to smarten up at any time because they could go out and turn around their, their weekend and maybe their career. So anyone listening, you get full credit to do that. Um, let's talk about that moment when the putt went in. So the, the next yeah. 30 seconds to two minutes is probably the most chaotic. And, you know, you mentioned social media. I think that made a huge, huge Im- impact in terms of just us feeling like we were there. But you were. The putt, the bat flip 
Jose yeah. Bautista Amazing, style. Right? Yeah. The tackle of Adam Hadwin, all of this, you need to just like walk us through. You, how many eyeballs did you need to have at that moment to consume it all and then see it back live, the champagne bottle? Like it just was, it was great theater. It was, it was amazing theater. And um, golf allows for that because there is so much space. You know, if this was, you know, obviously a guy, someone wins a Stanley Cup, you're, you're constricted to just, you know, the ice surface. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole, you know, 25 players on a team. There's the coaches. But, you know, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of tight. With golf, especially because they're playing a par five, they dropped the ropes. Some guys were running up the, the fairway. Um, Obviously, there was a very overzealous security guard that thought Adam Hadwin was not Adam Hadwin, tackled him, and then in the most Canadian of ways, they they made up very quickly, and Adam Hadwin apologized to the security guard for not wearing his credential. (laughs) <laughs> which was pretty, which was pretty funny uh, as well. So yeah, uh, to your question specifically, I probably needed like a dozen eyes just to make sure that I was taking everything in. I was trying to really focus on on Nick and his caddy, uh, and I was really trying to take take stock of how Nick was handling the moment, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't really see. So then, obviously, my eyes immediately start to go towards well, who else from the PGA Tour is here, and what is this moment meaning? To them, so I ended up, you know, getting some great one-on-one interviews with with Corey and, and with Mike and with Adam, uh, which I think are posted up on on SportsSense website, uh, and just talking about what what this win meant to them, and, and it meant a lot, and, and that was kind of where my focus went uh, away from Nick. I couldn't find him, but the other guys on the PGA Tour been there, done that, been in the arena. Um, what what were their emotions like? Did you try to secure an interview with the security guard? Gonna find not, I think I think they tried they trotted the security guard out of there pretty pretty fast. I think, he, I think he got in some trouble after he and Adwin. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, that one angle where he looks like a linebacker coming out of the backfield, like going through blocks. <laughs> it's like it's it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable <laughs> moment. And I think you kind of just answered my question. Uh, I was going to ask you about like the most Canadian thing you saw. It was probably Hadwin apologizing, but that was like a heavy dose of Canadiana with the toonie and the cup and all the mm-hmm. oh, yeah. all these other things going on. Like, what was the most Canadian thing? you saw it might have been a reaction just people talking behind you but the most canadian thing you saw that wasn't adam hadwin's apology probably <laughs> probably just the entire you know vibe at the at the rink hole uh year after year it just keeps getting more and more electric and the funny thing is like canadians just knew they never were told to bang on the boards canadians just knew <laughs> to bang on the boards so they've been doing that for for a bunch of years um it's obviously made that made that arena in air quotes you know a lot more mm-hmm. exciting and a lot more electric and you know the fun thing is every time a canadian walked in there um certainly on the weekend they all got serenaded with oh canada uh everyone stood up some people took off their shirts <laughs> other people took off their hats um, and, and just sort of that, the, the Canadian golfing public in Toronto was just so excited to see their own uh, playing really well. And, and, you know, I think I heard the national anthem like eight times <laughs> on Sunday. So I think you can't get more Canadian than that. We're talking to Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst. I'm glad you still want to talk to us after we triple bogeyed hole zero, both of us. Um, let's move on. We're not going to ask uh, for any input on that. Uh, you did oh, get to talk. I know, I know, but we just had to be honest about it because we talked about it last week and we disappointed. We were not Nick Taylor. Um, you did talk to Nick Taylor and I got to catch it on Sportsnet Central last night. Um, and I know it's up on our website. So if anyone hasn't had an opportunity to see it one on one afterwards, it was awesome. Um, you could just see his emotion. You could see him kind of trying to process 
yeah. everything going on. And I think that that's so raw and it's an awesome experience to be able to talk to someone right afterwards. What did you take from how he was going through the emotions, trying to contextualize? He was obviously quite humble when you, you know, you try to ask about where this place is in, in sports and in Canadian sports history, but him getting that moment and trying to soak it all in, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, where both of us are we're trying to go through the um, emotion of it all. Like, I, I have been covering golf for 10 years, and I've never seen this happen, obviously, but then there's guys who have been covering it for as long as I've been alive, and they've never seen it either. So we're all just trying to go, go through the motions of uh, talking through such a seminal moment in Canadian golf history. But I do think that Nick was despite the fact that he was incredibly excited, his brother was there, you know, his his best friends were there on the tour. Um, obviously, as a Canadian, he was getting lifted up by the whole crowd and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, his family wasn't there. And I think that was a bit of a bummer for him. His wife, uh, Andy, was back in B.C. They, they just had a newborn uh, daughter, Harper. Uh, she was born about six weeks ago, so they didn't travel with her. And then they've got a son um, uh, as well, Charlie. And they had a quick FaceTime uh, before Nick did all of his media and, um, you know, they talked about uh, just what this win meant, and there was a lot of tears, and, and Charlie, his son, who was a couple of years old, didn't really know what was happening, but he said, Dad, Dad made a big shot, and um, I think that was just really neat for, for both of us to talk about. I'm a, I'm a dad now, too, so, you know, to talk about what this win, you know, meant for his kids and just how just awesome all of that is going to be certainly now and, and moving forward was, was really cool, and, and he was just trying to find the words to describe an all-time incredible history-making moment. Uh, So the week starts with, you know, (laughs) the really disruptive uh, announcement and a lot of emotion (laughs) behind the scenes. Jay Monahan, you know, I don't think I saw... Did you see Jay Monahan? I don't know if... Well, I guess you would have seen him. Yeah, I saw saw Jay Monahan. I I, I don't think he was, uh, you know, making himself uh, widely available to people uh, in his time in Toronto this week. So it was a little... Not signing autographs. (laughs) We'll put it this way. It wasn't a great start for Crawdaddy. Uh, Things were kind of a mess. But now you have the dream close you have the dream ending you have something that actually can be built on so nick taylor's win means a lot for nick taylor but what does nick taylor's win mean for the rbc canadian open yeah 10 out of 10 question because um the week started incredibly turbulent and yet here we are sunday night safe landing smooth landing all is well and i think that that actually it's funny that's like the crux of this column that i'm writing for sportsnet today is kind of that um uh, the the organizers of this event had you know all all questions no answers and by the time you get to sunday the thing that people are going to remember more about this week is the home country winner and and that's kind of the way it should be and you think about how emotional Brian Crawford was he was right there with the guys uh when the putt went in you know a lot of tears hugs from him uh golf canada ceo Lawrence Applebaum tears hugs uh this just means for, for Golf Canada, who put a stake in the ground to say we want to have 30 golfers on the PGA Tour and LPGA Tour by 2030, to have this as an, as an asset, is they couldn't have asked for anything better. So, yes, while the news of the week kind of transcended Canada and, and made a, a grand impact on Planet Golf, in terms of its win in this country for RBC, for Golf Canada, um, you know, for even, even the PGA Tour as, as an entity, you know, all of us in the media – uh, Canadian golfers near and far um, could not ask for a better could not have asked for a better ending. 
Uh, not sure if we have to let you go, but it's fair if we do. But I'll that throw Nick Taylor FaceTiming. <laughs> yeah, if that's Nick Taylor. You, you can just you can three take way it put him on our call too. <laughs> uh, it's it, we should probably just let Taylor's win be its own win. Uh, but I do want to compare it to uh, Mike Weir's win uh, because we could be talking about the greatest accomplishment, at least on the men's side, in the history of Canadian golf. Uh, we. We kind of decided, or at least I'm put, maybe putting words in Ailish's mouth a little bit here, but we decided maybe the best accomplishment ever was Weir still, and the best yeah. moment ever was Taylor now. Uh, do you see it that way, or is this win for Nick Taylor superseding even a Masters win for Mike Weir in 2003? I think in 20 years we can have the debate again, because we'll know then if Nick Taylor's win had the same impact that Mike Weir's win did. Um, it, it's too early to tell right now. I, I think... Mike Weir's Masters win is number one and, and will continue to be at least for you know another decade or two. Uh, this, this win, I think you're right. The, the moment, the buzz, you know, at, at the Masters, Mike Weir's win was incredible for Canadians, but not everybody wanted him to win that week, certainly. 100% of the people on site watching the tournament on TV following along on social media, wanted Nick Taylor to win this tournament, and he did. And I think that that should play a role in where we kind of rank this event. Brooke Henderson's win at the CP Women's Open a couple years ago, same deal, 100% of the people wanted her to win. You know, she's won two majors as well. So, you know, again, when you talk about body of work and dominance, you know, I think Brooke, if, you know, if Brooke doesn't have numbers one and two, you know, she'll have numbers three through six, if you will. Um, but, yeah, the, the difference between Nick's Canadian Open win and Mike's major win is that the Canadian faithful, every single person wanted him to do that. And I think if we're going to go number one and number one A, I'd be fine mm-hmm. with that too. We're talking to Adam Stanley, sports that golf writer and analyst. Okay, so this was um, step one of two opportunities for Oakdale to have the Canadian Open. Obviously, they're back there 2026. So how was the course in the weekend for a first time? Um, and maybe if there's anything that you look forward to them adding or improving for 2026. Yeah, I think the, the golf course obviously held up really well. PJ Tour venue, they grew up the rough. Uh, greens were great. Fairways, fairways were great. Conditions were awesome. Uh, the front nine, kind of funky. I mean, it, it played almost 500 yards longer than the back nine. Mm-hmm. Three strokes uh, harder uh, for the week. So, you know, some of the guys don't love that kind of tail of two nine situation. They, they would love a little bit more continuity. Uh, that said, it, it was a composite golf course. I mean, they just created these 18 holes out of, you know, the best, uh, the be- it was the best 18 out of the 27 that they have on property. So, um, you know, they, maybe they'll, they'll pivot some of it in 2026, but uh, the golf course delivered. I, I think they definitely had some logistical hurdles. Um, some of the shuttle stuff was, was tough. Um, some of the parking issues were tough. Location, not, not totally idyllic, uh, especially because they had to shuttle the guys from the driving range. Uh, on Jane Street, in cars, back onto the golf course. They told the guys to budget 25 minutes for that. You're, You're right. a pro athlete. You can't really be warm. <laughs> sit, in, sit in traffic, get back to the first tee, and expect to kind of do your thing. So, um, yeah, it was those things will hopefully get sorted and settled in, in the next two or three years. Obviously, the board uh, and the, the members themselves still need to vote to say, yes, we actually want to do this. Then they'll go back through the process with the PGA Tour. But, um, yeah, I think... You can't have a golf tournament without a golf course, and mm-hmm. the course itself held up really well. 
Okay, so uh, Canadian Open to U.S. Open now. Um, how do you think things will, I don't know, uh, heat up a little bit in terms of discussions? Because a lot of big-name golfers weren't here, obviously, this past weekend at Canadian Open. Now we turn our attention to U.S. Open. Do you think that, you know, things kind of go back into the heated pressure point discussion cooker that we were having beforehand? Or do you think that maybe this, this tournament kind of came at a good point to diffuse a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, Rory's probably happy that he already talked about you know everything this week, and, and he'll get trotted into the media center on Tuesday at 9 a.m. next week in L.A., and probably will have to answer a bunch more questions, but you know at least the kind of baseline has already been answered. You know, For someone like Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, I can go down the list, You know, they're going to have to address it, so the storyline's going to come back uh, hot and heavy for sure. Um, but the funny thing is about the Canadians, there's seven Canadians in the field at the U.S. Open this week, tied for the most ever, and even though it's a major, it's kind of a come down from from everything that happened this week. It's like it's a major championship, yeah, but they're going to be way more chill next week than they than they would have been this week. So, um, you know, hopefully they can catch up on rest and and kind of get their uh, get their acts together for another major with, with how many Canadians there are in that field. But um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what. The guys who obviously didn't play the Canadian Open uh, have to say about all of this stuff, and, and I'm sure Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday will be dominated by that, especially because some of the live guys will end up uh, talking for the first time. But then ball's in the air on Thursday, and, and you know then it's tournament coverage time. Does uh, Adam Stanley get a chance to decompress too, or are you off to L.A. covering this event? What's, what's the, what's the no, schedule look like for you? I'm not. I'm not off to LA. I'll, uh, the USGA is really good with some of the virtual media stuff, so uh, I will be doing some preview stuff for uh, for Sportsnet on Wednesday, and then Thursday through Sunday we'll do some coverage just from home. Um, long, long week last week. I've been away from home uh, a lot the first six months of the year, so uh, time to time to be home. Yeah, get some rest, but also, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to be relying on you. Uh, Please you, do. You know, uh, you know, we were talking about like, hey, what? You know, who does this mean a lot to? When they're big moments, like, who do you think about? We think about you because you cover the go, uh, go, golf in this country better than anyone. So uh, we appreciate you coming on, and we're glad that uh, you were able to write on such an important Canadian moment. Yeah, thanks very much, and uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you guys this week. It was awesome. Uh, that's Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Adam Hadwin on Wikipedia. Adam Hadwin, born the 2nd of November, 1987, is a Canadian professional golfer who plays on the PGA Tour. He has once won on the PGA Tour, twice on the Web.com Tour, and twice on the Canadian Tour. Hadwin is the only Canadian golfer to be tackled on the 18th green of the RBC Open. He apologized to the security guard after... According to his wife, if you scroll down, according to his if wife, if you scroll down to the 2023 section of his career, 2022 says, oh, in June 2022, Hadwin led the U.S. Open after the first round. That's all that's written there. 2023 says on June 11th, Hadwin was tackled by security at the RBC Canadian Open when they did not recognize Hadwin as he attempted to spray champagne on fellow Canadian Nick Gol- uh, Nick Golfer Nick Taylor after Taylor became the first Canadian to win in almost 70 years. So he's got a Wikipedia update already. Listen, we're told to have our past visible on us in this building, but if it's not, Boy. we don't get tackled. Yeah, nobody cares too much about us. Um, Adwin, uh, Adam, we might be here before security. Adam, that's true. No, because nah, I had to no, get... No, they're here. I, they they're, they're bailed here. us out many They've times. They've helped me get in yes. the building before. Last week, I didn't say this on the radio, but last week I got here... And my pass wasn't working, and I thought, do I still work here? Like, it wouldn't let me in the building. I was a little worried, mm. but the, we found, we figured it out. Just, just, a, with the just a minor heart attack. So, yeah, I was like, dude, Justin! Um, Adam Hadwin, plus 15000 to win the U.S. Open. Just mm. five bucks. 
You think he can repeat? Corey Connors up there. (laughs) Back-to-back wins. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster for him. But maybe rides a little bit of momentum. Maybe a top 20 finish. How about that? Lots to think about as we prepare for our picks on Wednesday. Lots for me to think about. Lots for Justin, who... uh, Well, we'll save that for the Wake and Rake. Has a big, big mountain to climb. As big as the Mount Everest that we golfed a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cardinal. Shout out, Cardinal. Um, Okay, so we've got Will Liu joining us after the break. Charles Raptors have a new head coach. Welcome to the Darko era. The Darko side. The darkness. The Darko horse hire. How many Darko... You can try all your puns out on William Liu. That's next on the Fan Morning Show. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Final block of the fan morning show, Sportsnet 590, the fan. We'll move off golf for a little bit because some other big news in Canada, Canada's team, the Toronto Raptors, they wanted to get in on the action this weekend. They at long last, have selected the head coach for your team. And thank goodness, because you were going to rip him. You were what? like, you were getting ready to be like, no, really? You were waiting for something to talk about. You had them in your sights. We got three hours every day. I'm like loving some Raptors. Will Lou, host of the Raptors show, joins us this morning. Will, I got two things to try out with you. Welcome okay. to the Darko side or the Darko horse candidate was the winner. Oh, that's a bad reaction. Wow. Mm. Um, the second one is slightly better. Okay. You can have it for your, uh, you will for your cut, next show. You, oh, I, I can't wait to not use that. But, um, <laughs> how are you guys doing? We're good. How's it going, Will? I know you had a little uh, emergency pod because you finally got some real news. How does it feel oh, about yeah. your head coach? No, it, it's good. Um, I, I think like a lot of people, um, you kind of grew a little antsy. Like when your job is to like do a daily Raptors show and um, <laughs> the only thing you have to talk about is like, hey, there's a new candidate here today mm-hmm. or there's a new candidate here for seven weeks. I think people do get antsy a little bit, but I, I, I do understand like where the Raptors are coming from in terms of, look, this, they clearly had a list of candidates that I don't think a lot of other teams were shopping from, you know? And, and when you think about a lot of the coaches that were, hired in this period that's a lot of guys who were fired guys like nick nurse guys like um you know monty williams etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think from the raptors perspective they really wanted to take their time interview you know like two dozen candidates um and yeah their conclusion after all of this is to hire darko rayakovich who you know, as far as um, guys who haven't had a sh- shot yet, which seems to be the big pattern, the Raptors didn't interview a lot of former head coaches, for example, very few of those. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for a guy who hasn't had a shot yet, his resume is quite impressive. Um, you know, I think right now the state for most reporters are in is just like, okay, who is he? Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk to some people in his past. Let's try to get an, exa- an idea of sort of who... He is and sort of how he is to work with. Obviously, there's going to be an introductory press conference this week. Um, so, you know, that would be a good chance to get to know him as well. But um, at least this process is over and um, we'll see sort of how the Raptors move forward with this new coach. So we bring you on to do the dirty work, the Sparks mm. Notes version of all the research that we no, we did a little bit, but you're the Raptors guy. So what have you learned yeah. from your from your investigation on the newest head coach, the Raptors, and maybe like what the signals for their direction moving forward? 
Okay, so a couple of things. I mean, number one, um, I think there there always is a bit of a concern with like um, European coaches coming over. It's like, okay, how are they going to handle the situation culturally? Like, at number one, do they speak English? Obviously, he speaks English. Um, have they become acclimated with you know the NBA, North American sports? Yes, he has. He's been working in the NBA for the last decade plus. Um, does he have a little bit of head coaching experience? He does both back home uh, in Serbia and also uh, here in the D League. Um, it's kind of a little bit similar, I suppose, to Nick Nurse's um, resume when you really think about it. Um, also, one of the fun facts that you, you learn about him: um, he started coaching when he was sixteen. He's he's forty four right crazy, now. Crazy, eh? <laughs> it, it's kind of like wow. That's that's a lot of coaching experience um, for somebody who's still that young. Like forty four is not old at all. So um, definitely has been a lifer. In terms of the passion for for coaching, um, obviously has coached on both sides, and yeah, I mean, I think his reputation um, recently in his last two stops, where he was brought to Phoenix from OKC and then brought from Phoenix to Memphis. In Phoenix, he was the offensive coordinator, um, and the Heat that season, or the the the, the Suns that season, um, were number one in the league in assists, and also. Uh, second last in terms of isolation. So they played a lot of team basketball. They definitely moved the ball around a lot. Um, also, fun fact, they got Aaron Baines, who I think a lot of Raptor fans will remember Aaron Baines um, for not great reasons, um, <laughs> just because he just didn't really work out. But he got Aaron Baines to average like 13 points a game, which is kind of amazing um, when you really think about what Aaron Baines did with the Tampa Bay Raptors. But um, he, he was the offensive coordinator in Phoenix. And then... The last three years, he's been in uh, Memphis, which has been a pretty successful program uh, outside of the off-court issues, which we'll just put aside. I don't think he has anything to do with that. But um, yeah, he's he's been really instrumental in the developmental process there in terms of getting guys like Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr. to level up their games. Um, of course, it's a lot easier to do that as an assistant coach. You, you can have a lot more dedicated one-on-one time with guys. Um, and the, 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 the move over from assistant to head coach, it's going to be a lot different, you know, like when you're an assistant, you, you can, you know, dive into all the details and you can be more hands on when you're the head coach, you're more like the CEO of the situation, you know, you have to pick and choose. Um, but that's, that's his, you know, reputation. He's, he's been involved in player development. He's been involved in offensive, um, you know, sets and creation and running offense and things like that and i think those are the two aspects when you think about the raptors last season that were quite missing like the the a Masai talked about literally verbatim i did not enjoy watching this team and i think a lot of that comes down to sort of um their offensive process uh and then i think the other thing too he talked about was you know the raptors developmental program which is sort of the backbone of this whole thing and what made them successful the last decade that's really dried up so at least on paper, this new head coach with Darko, he addresses both of those issues. Now, of course, I'm really interested to see how that is actually put into practice. But for now, um, the hiring makes a lot of sense. We'll, we'll, we'll know a lot more once we actually get to talk to the guy. How much of a stretch is it to say that they've uh, targeted someone who's at the opposite end of the spectrum compared to Nick Nurse? I mean, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. Like, I don't think, like, you know, they wanted the... I think there were good parts for Nick that I think that they wanted to 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 find it in the next head coach too, right? I think Nick was very innovative with his defensive schemes, and um, hopefully Darko is as well. Like I, I would still like to see the Raptors whip out a box and one occasionally, um, but I do think at the same time though that yeah, those those aspects in terms of emphasizing player 
um, development, um, you know, and also being a little bit more purposeful in terms of the offensive principles, whether that's like running more sets each time down the floor or even having more like of a team-based system offensively, I think that definitely would be an upgrade over Nick. And it's, it's, it's funny too, because when Nick got brought into Toronto, originally and one of his responsibilities back when he was an assistant was to sort of lead the offense and back when Dwayne Casey won the uh, coach of the year award in 1718 the year he got let go um, a lot of the improvements on that team was on the offensive end uh, especially when the bench pop came around and at that time in 1718 you would say Nick Nurse was an offensive guru who has shown a history of uh, player development so that is the interesting thing with assistants right like you don't necessarily know what uh what, what the responsibilities are and sort of how much um, the progress of the players and things like that to specifically put on um, the coach. But at the same time, yeah, like I, I do think there were areas that, you know, in terms of what happened with Nick last year, it wasn't necessarily just player development and also how they ran the offense. Um, I think they also just needed a new voice. Also, he kind of, you know, soft quit on the team uh, at the end of the season there publicly, mm-hmm. which is kind of insane. But um yeah, so you 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 needed to to address some of those issues, and and ideally, Darko, when you look at his resume, you know he does have some of those um, aspects in terms of improving offense and improving player development that the Raptors clearly need. Does the Darko hire signal anything to you about what Masai may have planned for this offseason? I mean, yes or no. I think the reason I'm saying no is because um, I think that Masai and Bobby they're they're going to move how they're going to move regardless of what the, what the decision was with the head coach. Um, I, I do think that when you think back on this process, like the Raptors really did not consider a lot of these coaches who were pretty um, accomplished, but you know, the Raptors wanted to get a fresh voice in there no matter what, like a lot of the candidates were like JJ Redick, for example. And it's like, okay, well, or a whole bunch of assistants, you know, around the league. And um, they didn't want to pursue a guy like, Monty that seriously or a guy like Doc Rivers that seriously um you know who else has been available um oh yeah Mike Boonholzer as well like these are a lot of like former coach of the year winners that you would be pretty justified in bringing in the Raptors really wanted to go with a fresh voice and so from that perspective I can see why people would read into that in terms of just like okay that means the Raptors will rebuild but I think the front office is going to move regardless um, of of who the head coaching um, decision was going to be. And I think that um, whether they want to move in a win now kind of uh, direction or they want to move in a um, rebuild situation, they're going to need the same aspects from the head coach. They're going to need somebody who can really put in some new principles on offense to make this team look a lot better because the Raptors have been bottom five in uh, half court creation for the last two years, which is pretty evident when you watch the actual product um and then also you need to get development in toronto because as Masai has basically admitted like free agency is just not a factor for toronto um which yeah i mean if you follow the raptors for their near 30 years of history obviously that's been the case free agents don't really come here so the way you actually improve the roster is by drafting players bringing players in and then making them better. And so player development is going to inform regardless of what direction you move in. Yeah. If nothing else, and in the, in the vein of player development, does it say like, Hey, we're okay with just taking a step back here 
for a season. Like, we're not necessarily going to just say, yeah, what we have, we're going to push, and we're going to do what the best we possibly can with what we have. Maybe this is, okay, we're taking a step back. We're going to breathe here. We're going to make some decisions. It's not like a complete makeover, but with this new coach, with someone who needs some experience themselves, uh, we're just maybe alleviating a little bit of the pressure we put on ourselves. Yeah, I hope so. Um, because I think that, to me, that would be what the sensible this direction would be. I mean, I, I thought that's the direction they might have moved at the trade deadline as well in terms of, you know, pivoting away from contention this past year and also just, like, you know, pushing up in the draft. Um, but they kind of, you know, zagged. Like, that's 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 the Maasai-Bobby approach. They, they zag a lot. Um, you know, what the conventional wisdom says about the team isn't usually what they do with the team. Now, of course, um, you look like a genius when you zag, and uh, eventually you're you're actually first to a trend, um, so you're ahead of the curve. Uh, it, it, but it works the opposite way when you zag, when it seems pretty clear that the, the roster has a limited ceiling. And look, I, I don't even mind continuing to build on a lot of what the Raptors have in place. Like, I'm not trying to say they don't have talent, but at the same time, um, if you want to improve from what we saw this past season and you had coaches is, is is a good step for sure and a necessary step but um are you going to find ways to bring more talent to the team and i think that's where it's a little bit concerning right like you have a lot of fridges coming up you already hear reports about other teams interested in fred mm-hmm. um you have a very key you know player option pickup deadline coming up i don't think he's going to pick it up by the way i think he's going to earn a lot more than 20 million next year um but yeah, are you going to be able to retain him? And if you don't retain him, that's okay. But how do you upgrade from Fred at point guard? Because this is already a team that was very, very lacking in guard skills. And if you look at the way Darko has run his teams in the past, whether that's you know in Phoenix where he had Devin Booker or in Memphis where he had John Moran and Desmond Bain, Raptors don't even have anything close to that level of guard talent with or without Fred. So how do you improve the talent on the roster? Because you can't expect Darko to cook with nothing really on the roster. Talking to Will Liu, host of the Raptors show. You had your emergency pod after the naming of the new head coach. Everybody can check that out. Um, getting the sense that that third pick might be available. Raptors have been a little bit rumored to be involved in it. Do you see a pathway in which they could capitalize on that? Um, and would that be maybe the right move if you have a new head coach looking for some youth? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, look, look, I, I think right now, um, we are just sort of connecting the dots, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, I don't think there's anything specifically linking Portland to Toronto in terms of, hey, they want these guys. And um, I don't think it's necessarily anything linking from Toronto's perspective of, like, the Raptors are going to pursue these picks. I think it just makes sense on paper. Um, yeah. And especially in the, like, well, we're less than two weeks to the draft now um, on June 22nd. Like, we're going to hear a lot more of these reports. But until, like... Like this, a trade like this wouldn't really happen until after Charlotte makes their decision in terms of who they're drafting on number two. Obviously, we know San Antonio is going to take Victor Wanyama, the alien, at uh, <laughs> yeah, you know the number one pick. Clearly, um, number two is much more of a debate in terms of is Charlotte really going to pick up um, Brandon Miller instead of Scoot Henderson? And then after that, there's going to be a five minute period where you will hear a lot of furious discussion. And hopefully, obviously, a lot of this is discussed in advance in terms of, like, if Charlotte does A, then you do B, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's when a move like that would actually try to come out or, or potentially work out. But in the meantime, yeah, I mean, to me, if you are going to trade with Portland, and Portland does seem fairly committed to building around Damian Lillard, 
the Raptors do have two players that would really, really appeal to them in terms of Pascal and OG and Obi. Can OG get you the third pick? If he, if he can, I, I'm doing that deal immediately. If mm. Can Pascal get you the third pick? I think he should. Um, and I would ask for more than just the third pick. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, that, that there is opportunities uh, available to them. And I do think that for the Raptors, one thing they try to do is try to stay flexible in the sense that, like, you you not to say that you don't build a direction based on what the front office wants, but it's also about what your options are, right? Like you can't just say, I'm going to rebuild, but all the options to you are terrible. Um, I don't think getting the third pick would be a terrible option at all. I think that'd be a great option to start a rebuild. So um, we'll see if that option is available to them. I think there is probably similar opportunities available in terms of from Houston who have the fourth pick. They want to be competitive this this year. Do you make a trade there? Detroit at number five. I mean, I'm not even sure what Detroit is all about, to be honest, other than paying Monty Williams more than every player on the <laughs> roster except for one guy. Mm. Um, but maybe they also want to compete as well. So there are other opportunities to trade up in the draft. But uh, number three is definitely the one that's most interesting. And if that's available, you absolutely have to explore it. And if it was available and we hear about it after the fact and the Raptors chose not to explore it, I would love an explanation as to why they didn't because that would be a great chance. Last one for you here quickly, Will. Uh, Darko will be unveiled uh, shortly. Uh, not sure we know the date yet, but when he does get introduced to the media, what do you want to hear? Honestly, uh, I want to hear um, what the front office told him in terms of how they want to take the future of this team and how he fits into that. Um, not to say that I don't want to hear about who he is and his background and his story, because that's also very interesting and we don't know much about that, but very, very much want to know what the front office's plans are. Cause I think that, you know, the head coaching position was the easier part in terms of how to decide the future. The more difficult thing is, you know, how do you address the roster as is? So um, welcome Darko, you know, you're in this and now we want to know, you know, what you're in this with in terms of the players. All right, well, we're looking forward to hearing you break it all down when we finally get to get introduced to the newest head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Will, thanks for jumping on this morning. we got to get out to golf, me, you, Alex, and Justin, okay? Okay, yeah. He's I'm already I've agreed never to it. Before, yeah, but... he mentioned that, but he's already agreed to it, so you're already in. We'll, we'll set a date, okay? It's fine. I practice on Kipper's little uh, <laughs> there you mini go. putt thing. <laughs> on the, the putting thing, so you'd be better at putting than me already. I'll tell you that, okay? Yeah, that's, that <laughs> is true. All right. all right, thanks, Will. We'll chat soon. Appreciate it. See ya. That was Will Lou, host of the Raptors show. So stay tuned for more official news on the newest head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Hasn't been announced yet. It will be. And then we'll have a press conference all over again. So many press conferences in the city. Uh, we need them. We need stuff to talk about. So Darko will be something to talk about. And we cannot wait. Let's hit the Wake and Rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Uh, I am going to be quick with it. Jamal Murray has a double-double in every single game so far in the NBA Finals. He's plus 165 to secure a double-double tonight. So I'm going to get a little... I'm going to... I'm going to set the tone here. I Mm -hmm. want an aggressive wake and rake. Plus 165 is the first leg of the parlay because that's what Jamal Murray does. He scores and he's leading the finals in assists. So get 10 more and we're laughing. I'm going to go with plus money as well. My pick that I originally liked is the most popular pick on the text line. So I'm going to give that to our anchor pick because I think four people texted in. So I'm going to go with my second favorite one. The newest phenom in the MLB, Ellie De La Cruz for the Reds. 
over bases today, over one and a half plus 110. He is the newest sensation. He's gone eight for 22, total 14. Uh, 14 total bases in his first six games. He has a hit in every game, three extra base hits, and has gone over the total bases in three of his games. So I'm liking the young stud to keep that rolling tonight against the Royals. I like that pick. Uh, no one can stop Ellie De La Cruz yet, so let's, let's uh, roll with it. So the anchor picks... Um, we, we have a lot. Let's go through them quickly. Duke in the Hammer says, Nuggets pop the bottles tonight. Give them the eight. So that's, uh, I'm seeing it at nine and a half, but you can move to eight. Okay. Uh, morning, Justin Nalish. Uh, what are we getting for Canada? Indeed. Texas Rangers, minus one and a half run line and the over nine and a half total runs versus the Angels. Two picks there from career, Chris. Okay. For my wake and rate pick, I like the Rays, minus one and a half against the A's. Got to pay a little juice at minus 150, but I think it's a great parlay piece. That's Corey from Port Hope. That is the one that you're going to hear many times, which I've already put in for our pick, but keep going. Okay. Ron and Jules, what a great weekend at the Canadian Open. Today's anchor, Rays over five and a half runs versus the A's, or the Miami Heat to cover eight and a half Mm. to keep it close, ultimately lose to the Nuggets tonight. Good morning. Coming off a big Friday with Djokovic plus 175 and Rude minus 110. You know, this is Neil in Newfoundland. This week, tennis turns to the grass. I'm going ATP Stuttgart and Matteo Berrettini minus one and a half games over Lorenzo Sanego. I'm killing it. Berrettini. I think you nailed all that. Berrettini's coming off a two-month layoff with injury, but he has a 32-3 and record in his last 35 grass matches. Holy. Sanego's been playing very well lately, but Berrettini has that monster grass record, and I think I can't look past it. Berrettini minus one and a half games. That's Neil in Newfoundland. A little bit of a blind bet, but I blind bet Neil, so it's not a problem. <laughs> and this is another one for what is a Hall of Fame selection, Ray's run line over the athletics. Well, this the, is from... Oakland's on a five-game win streak, though, so it's a bit spooky season, but we're yeah, going to do they, they messed us up last week a bit. Yeah. This this is Eon, I believe, a.k.a. the unnamed texter. Regardless of their five-game win streak, he says, fading the athletics. Zach Eflin pitching yeah. for the Rays. ERA under three, whip under one, eight and one record for their free agent edition. So I think we're going to put Tampa Bay run line over the athletics as our anchor submission. It's got good support. So here's our picks. Jamal Murray to record a double-double, plus 145 tonight. Tampa Bay Rays on the run line over the Oakland Athletics and Ellie De La Cruz over one and a half total bases. Parlay that up, plus 752. That's a good one. And we've been talking all morning about Jack Eichel potentially winning the Consmite Trophy. You can find him at a, as we can 22 to 1 in some places. Yeah, uh, Frank maybe leaning towards him. Friedman, first name out of his mouth when he talked about it with Kenan Ivanka, Sportsnet Central on Saturday night. Uh, if those two aren't ruling him out, 20 to one's not bad on Jack Eichel to win the Consmith. And um, update on the Fanex Cup standings just one more time before we sign off. Nick Taylor plus 66 to one. Ailish is now leading the Fanex Cup $9,400 to $2,000. This week will be a big one for Justin as he tries to climb up the mountain in front of him. Yeah, I'm down $7,400. Not sure what the strategy will be, but we will try to work into that lead starting with the U.S. Open. <laughs> All right, very fun Monday. Jay's not in action tonight, so we'll be back tomorrow to tee up their next series. Uh, congrats to Nick Taylor, and thanks for everyone for enjoying a nice day of Canadian fanfare today. Oh, Canada! Woo!